Welcome to the Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. We are a Bible-believing church located in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. We are proudly part of the Christian Fellowship Ministries with 3,000 churches around the world. We are a church focused on world evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Here we will share recent sermons from PHSA Church and other sermons from throughout our fellowship. I am Pastor David Bickford, and I will be your host for this podcast. I thank you for listening today, and we hope these messages are a blessing to you and bring you closer to God. Hello, and welcome back to the Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. I am the pastor here in Salmon Arm. My name is David Bickford. Today, I have something new, and it is Mitchell Mondays. This is going to be a collection of sermons from our founding pastor, the late Wayman Mitchell, and our current head pastor, his son, Greg Mitchell, based out of Prescott, Arizona. These are powerful messages from our fellowship leaders, and I hope that these messages add to your week. God bless. Uh, This evening, what a real privilege for me to turn this pulpit over to my pastor, and uh, Pastor Greg is just been such a blessing to our fellowship and uh, his dad I was very very close to his dad and the years and I was it was a hard time when he passed away but what was really really neat is that um, Pastor Greg was already stepping into the place of leadership I remember being at a leadership meeting where Pastor Greg actually shared with all the leaders that that he was just trying to fit, uh, fulfill a need by helping in Prescott. But God raised him up. And we are very privileged tonight to be able to experience the ministry of Pastor Greg. I am so thankful for his ministry. And let's give him a warm Canadian welcome as he comes. Amen. Thank you. Praise God. Amen. Thank you. I am honored to be here uh, with you. Wasn't able to be here last year, so I missed out, but I'm very, very grateful uh, to be with you again this year, and I'm trusting God's going to do good things. I've been, uh, I was in Chandler on Tuesday, and those of you who have been praying for Pastor Campbell, uh, giving a good report that uh, he is recovering. God did a miracle uh, in him. You don't know, his heart stopped in the airport in Sydney, Australia, but a doctor was standing next to him when that happened, was able to revive him, and uh, after some recovery in Australia, surgery, underwent surgery. Now he's back home, and uh, very, very good to see him. So no doubt if God arranged a doctor to be there when you need it, I said, clearly God has more for you. And he's not finished. And so uh, I was very glad. So you keep praying for him that he'll have full recovery. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 133. And just a second. Get my phone there. Psalm 133 in 1900 in uh, Spindletop Hill, which is outside of Beaumont, Texas, they started drilling for oil. They believed that there was oil underneath a salt dome. They started it on October of 1900. By January 1901, they had drilled down 1,020 feet, hadn't hit oil yet. But on January 10, 1901, mud 
came gushing out of the hole at high speed, then natural gas, and then oil started shooting out 150 feet up in the air. They call the Lucas Geyser. It was the most powerful ever seen at that time. In the, the oil began to flow at the rate of 100,000 barrels a day. That was the large, that was more than was being produced by all oil wells in North America at that time. First year, it produced three and a half million barrels of oil. Second, 17.4. Three of the largest uh, petroleum companies were sparked or spawned out of that initial strike. So here's my point from that story. They drilled, but then the oil began to flow. The scripture that we're going to read is a very famous one, and it speaks about the anointing oil. Oil, as you know, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and our text tells us what it will take. We're going to learn what will it take for the oil to flow. But there is a question that I am posing to you and actually forms the title of the sermon, and that is, will the oil flow? because that depends on us. And we're going to look at this from God's Word. Will the oil flow? Psalm 133, starting at uh, verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life evermore. Will the oil flow? I want to begin three simple thoughts. Number one, here's the first one. It starts with the head. Verse two says it's like the precious oil upon the head. In the Bible, when it uses that word head, head is a symbol of leadership or spiritual authority. This text is talking about Aaron, who was the head or the leader of the Levites. He was the chief priest, the one who put people in touch with God. First Chronicles 8, 28, they, they were heads of their father's houses by their generations, chief men. They dwelt in Jerusalem over 25 times. You'll find that phrase in the Bible, heads of houses, the one who leads a clan, a tribe, a group of people. Literally, one who leads is one who determines what happens. 1 Corinthians eleven three. I want you to know the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. It starts with the head. The body is affected by the head. Anyone who has had a stroke or suffered brain damage, what's happening in the head now affects the arms, the legs, the rest of the body. So here is my point that I want to bring out. You cannot expect the body to be what the head is not. If you are the head of a home, I'm speaking now to pastors. If you're the head, if you're the one who leads the church, if you are not committed, passionate, and surrendered, they will never be. Because our text says it starts with the head. When I was concert director, about to go out, uh, 
out to preach. I was uh, at my parents' house. The phone rang. Dad answered the phone. It was a young pastor on the other end. And he was complaining that the people won't give. He is mad. These people, they won't give. There's no money. They're not giving. So, Pastor Joe, I could hear his end of the conversation. Well, are you preaching on money? To each of this, the man was giving an irritated reply. Yes, I'm preaching on money. Are you te- Yes, I'm teaching on money. Are you taking offering? Of course I'm taking offering. So I could see dad, you know, mentally scratching his head and finally asked, he asked the pastor, he said, well, are you tithing? Crickets. The pastor wasn't tithing. Now, no one knew that. He didn't say, I want you all to give, but I'm not going to do it. But the Bible says it starts with the head. He could not get them to be what he is not. This is true in life. A carnal head will never produce a spiritual body. The pastor is carnal. The body is going to be carnal. A covetous head can never produce a liberal body. The pastor is driven by money. The people will be driven by money. A cold head will never produce an on-fire body. In our text, it gives a powerful principle, and that is anointing runs downward. Verse 2, it's like the precious oil upon the head running down. A very common complaint that I hear from pastors, and this is around the world, pastors say these words, I can't get these people to fill in the blank, pray, give, commit, surrender, go. The mistake that they're making is that this is always a people problem. This is a body problem. They come to conferences. They hear a brother giving a report, and people are getting saved, and God is doing good things, and people are getting involved, and they're giving money, and they're going... Of course they are. You got the good people. I got the bad people. They're not doing it. But that's not biblically correct. The Bible says anointing flows downward. In fact, there are people that they are eager to claim their right to be the head. There are foolish husbands that their favorite verse is what I quoted before, 1 Corinthians eleven three. Do you know this woman? I'm the head of the house because the Bible says so in 1 Corinthians eleven three. There are pastors who have to frequently remind the people, I'm in charge. I'm going to give you a little clue in life. If you ever have to tell someone that you're in charge, you're not. See, leadership, this is not something to be demanded, it's a responsibility because anointing flows downward to anyone who is in authority, whether that is in a home, a ministry, or the pastor of a church, we will answer for authority. It is not give me a title. I want to be in charge so everybody knows that I'm important. See, you answer for authority in the garden. Husband and wife both sin, but God came looking for who? Adam, where are you? 
because it is an, a, a responsibility. James 3.1, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Pastor, pastor, I want to be in charge. Can I have a title? Can I have a ministry? I want to be able to tell people what to do. You might not know what you're asking for because it comes with greater accountability. When the cruise ship Costa Concordia shipwrecked some years back off the coast of Italy, who did they charge? The captain. A maritime lawyer said the captain is the master of the vessel. Every crew member looks to the captain for guidance and leadership. It's the captain's responsibility to know the waters and avoid coming close to any shoals and reefs. So first principle, if the oil is going to flow, the Bible says it starts with the head. Principle number two is, very simple, you need the oil. Our text speaks about oil, and it's talking about a particular kind of oil. It is anointing oil. Verse 2, like the precious oil upon the head. This is the anointing oil that was poured on uh, uh, on Aaron when he was anointed as priest. Oil is, of course, in the Bible, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It is a supernatural dimension, literally God at work, God doing something. We believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There are three parts of the Godhead. What the Father plans, the Son purchased, the Holy Spirit is the one who provides that. He is the one who empowers all that the Father planned and the Son purchased. The Holy Spirit is all about supernatural power. This is what we have to have at work in our lives, in our churches. We need something supernatural. You don't need a program. You need a miracle. You need God doing what we cannot do, doing more than we can do. Micah 3.8, but I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. That, that should be the cry of every pastor, of every person involved in ministry. God, let me be full of power, full of supernatural ability. Zechariah 4, 6 and 7, so he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he'll bring forth a capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. See, what God is promising, he can supply a supernatural dimension in ministry. We're not talking about doing something for God, trying to bring God's presence to other people. God never intended for you to try to minister in your own power. Luke 24, 49, I'll send the Holy Spirit as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Our text speaks about oil, and it is anointing oil. In the Bible, prophets, priests, and kings were three types of people who were anointed. 
This, of course, was the rite of consecration when they were dedicated to the Lord. But notice this, when they're going to do something for God, oil. They had to have the oil. They could not begin their ministry without oil. It is the power of the Holy Spirit, God doing something beyond human wisdom, human planning, human talent, human organization, human ability. Isaiah 10, 27 says, In that day his burden shall be taken from off of your shoulder, the yoke from off your neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Think about that, a dimension. People are held captive in many ways in life. And the Bible says, what is going to break bondage off of people? Have you ever tried to talk a drug out of drugs? You ever tried to talk an alcohol? I don't know if you're aware of this. Drugs are killing your life. Have you ever had a drug out of go, I was unaware of that. Thank you for pointing that out. No, no, no. It takes a miracle for someone to be. And the Bible says the anointing can break the yoke. Luke 4, 18 and 19, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Jesus is announcing his ministry, and he says something is going to happen supernaturally. He describes the effect prisoners set free, eyes are opened, broken hearts are healed. Something has to happen. I was counseling last night to new convert to couple, and I'm speaking just very simply. She's uh, simply telling of uh, the different things in her life, and I am telling her, pointed out from the Bible, God is able to cleanse, and God is able to deliver. I just spoke for a few moments, and she looked at me, and she said, I can feel it. Something is changing. In We hadn't even prayed yet. Something is changing inside. What was happening? Not because I said something clever that she was going to write down. A supernatural dimension. That is what we have to have. Our text speaks about anointing oil. Think about anointing. Anointing manifests in two profound ways. Number one, how do you tell if someone is anointed? Anointing manifests through human speech. That's firstly. 1 Samuel 3.19, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. That is the dimension of anointing. Have you ever had that feeling that, you know, you're witnessing to someone and it just feels like it's dribbling down your chin? Like, no, I need it to go to their heart. You preach, doesn't feel like anything is happening. But the Bible says when Samuel spoke, those words did not fall to the ground. What that is saying is they made impact. Luke 4, 22, everyone spoke 
uh, well of him and were amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. You know, grace in the Bible is, uh, of course, kindness, or he was speaking kindly, but it's power. That word is power, powerful. They were amazed at the powerful words that he was speaking. What needs to happen? We have to have words that penetrate. Acts 2.37, Peter's words, they were pierced to the heart. When he preached, you can read the sermon that he is simply pointing out biblical and godly logic and connecting it to their lives. But the effect is they, the Bible says, they were pierced to the heart. God did a miracle. I was earlier this year in New Zealand, and a, a man was there on the uh, probably the second row, and his entire face is tattooed. He, and I, I learned that uh, his testimony, his pastor told me his testimony, his pastor was on the streets in the city of New Zealand where he was, and he saw two gangsters. He saw they were a part of the largest gang in New Zealand called the Mongrel Mob. It's a bike gang, criminals. He saw two of them. He started witnessing one of them. Listen, he said, the other guy listened for a minute, scowled and stormed away. And he thought to himself, that guy was not into it at all. He said, one year later, he got a call it was the man who walked away, and that man said to him, for one year, I cannot get the words out of my head that I heard you say that day. He said, what time is church? I want to come to church. And here, he, I met he and his wife. Here, his entire face is tatted out, lifting his hands, worshiping. God did a miracle. What happened? The words pierce to the heart. That is what anointing does. James Hervey, he was a friend of the Wesleys at Oxford. He talk, talked about the change that took place when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, while my preaching was once like the firing of an arrow in which the speed and the force depends on the strength of the arm and bending the bow, he said, after I was filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like the firing of a rifle that all it takes is the touch on the trigger to set it off. Anointing is manifested in speech. It makes what you say effective. It's talking about words that inspire. The disciples on the road to Emmaus, what they said after talking with Jesus, didn't our hearts burn within us while he spoke. That is what needs to happen. Listen, in preaching, it has to be more than clever arguments, biblical, you know, tense Greek verbs. There needs to be something of fire. I remember when uh, I was a young disciple in Australia, when my father would just preach on destiny, my heart would begin to pound. He was simply saying, God has a plan for your life. You can do something for God. But he was anointed. Something powerful would happen. One man asked my father, he said, Pastor Mitchell, when you preach, 
there's more going on than what you're saying. And he said, what is it? In other words, it's not just his sermon, yes, and I want you. He says, when you preach, there's something more going on. People want to do the will of God. Why? Anointing. Second thing that anointing is, or that it does, anointing causes us to have favor with people. 1 Samuel 3.20, and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. There was something supernatural. He had been anointed. The Bible says his words don't fall to the ground. But the second thing is other people, they could feel, they could see something in Samuel They were drawn. They wanted to listen to him. That is what has to happen. You have to have a supernatural dimension. Listen, my wife and I went out when I was 21 and she was 19, and believe me, we looked like we were 12. I have the photos to prove it. There is no one who in the natural would look at us and go, wow, I'm going to trust my whole life with that guy. But you know what? God was doing a miracle. There were people, the only people who ever asked about our age were religious people from outside. Converts, they would listen. Converts were drawn. Converts would follow because anointing causes favor with people. It's supernatural. Charles Spurgeon said it's extraordinary power from God, not talent that wins the day. It's extraordinary spiritual unction, not extraordinary mental power that we need. Mental power may fill a chapel, but spiritual power fills the church with soul anguish. Mental power may gather a large congregation, but only spiritual power will save souls. What we need is spiritual power. And I tell you, that is the power of the Holy Spirit. That brings us then to the third thought. So if it starts with the head, if it's the oil that you need, let's talk about the determining factor. Our text says the determining factor of whether oil flows or not is unity. Verse 1, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Unity, the word simply means one, to be as one, to be together. Unity is powerful. Where Whenever there is unity and agreement, power can be released. Genesis eleven six. the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. They have one language, and this is what they'll begin to do. Nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. Unity is powerful. Whether that is in business, whether that is in sports, when everyone on the team will work together as one. Even evil, our text says, even for evil, unity is powerful. Our world is being transformed by unified evil. 
I don't know, I can't speak for Canada. America is being changed in terrible ways because wicked people are uniting to change it. Unity. So think about this. Lack of unity affects the oil. Our text says unity causes oil to flow. So let's use reverse logic. Disunity, where people are not one, that stops the flow of oil. Mark 3.25, and if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Think about this, husbands and wives. The Bible tells about a wife named McCall. She was not in agreement with her husband. She despised her husband, David. They were not one. They were two completely separate. The Bible says she was barren to the day of her death. The flow of life that should have been at work was stopped. But this is true in every human relationship. Husbands and wives, people and pastors, pastors and leaders, brothers and sisters, fellow pastors. Unity can release the oil but unity can stop the oil. Think about some ways that this manifests. Think about conflict for a moment. The book of Philippians. Can you imagine? You, you understand what the, when we say epistles, they were letters. That's what it meant. They were letters that were written. In those days, there was no internet. They didn't, couldn't live stream. Pastor Paul had a message for the church. So they would gather. They had this written on parchment. Pastor Paul, he has something he wants us to know. So they all sat down in church. and they're li- Philippians is a wonderful book. Chapter 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue. They're like, you can imagine in the, in the pew, yeah, depending on where they're from. They're excited. Yes. Then they get to chapter 4 and verse 2. And I appeal to Yodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Can you imagine? Yodia and Syntyche are sitting in church. Knock it off. Think about that. Conflict. Here's the problem. There are people that conflict is as normal as breathing. There are people that in every human relationship, they fight. They're mad. They wake up in the morning mad. They fight with people. They fight with their family. They fight with people in the church. They fight on the job. They fight with the pastor. They fight with everybody. They go to the store. They're looking at people. What are you looking at? They're going to fight with them too. And they think that that is normal. In their mind, everybody fights like that. As a matter of fact, they teach their children how to fight, how to hold on to offenses, how to be mad at people. I don't know if you understand this. There are many people in the world who aren't fighting with anyone. For some of you, this will blow your mind. 
Like, no way. What kind of freaks are those? No. Listen, conflict is not normal. There are people, you've gotten used to it. You're just totally used to fighting with people. But the Bible says it's killing the flow of the oil. Envy. Let's be honest. Anytime I hear someone say, that person really bugs me, I know that means the person who bugs you, they have something you wish you had. They get to do something you wish you get to do. That's why they bug you. Envy is the root of much conflict. Rebellion. You have people, they're at, they're, they're at odds with everyone in authority. There are people at odds with the pastor. I, I got people I ask, them, why do you come to church? You hate everything I do. You hate everything I say. I don't want to make you miserable. Critical of everyone in authority. Tribalism. You know, we can survive black magic and witchcraft as a fellowship. We cannot survive tribalism. You know what that means, tribalism? I'm not talking about First Nation people. No, no, I'm talking about churches. Talk about people who it's normal. You're proud of where you come from. Thank God. I thank God for my church. I thank God for my pastor. I thank God for my home church. But what happens is we start saying, I'm better than you because of where I'm from. As a matter of fact, I'm suspicious of you because you're not where I'm from. It doesn't, it doesn't matter that you, what you've done. You're just not where I'm from, so there's got to be something wrong with you. And there are people, this is how they view in the world. Oh, yeah, we're taking the world for Jesus, but I'm really worried about them because they're not us. And clearly we're superior because I'm. So what happens because of tribalism, there are people, they will not support someone who's not from their tribe. They speak against people who they're from another tribe, another wing of the fellowship. They divide their people against their people. As the old saying there are some men, they'll fly around the world to preach a sermon. They will not drive across town to hear one. You know the story? A man went and visited an asylum for the criminally insane. And he was shocked. There was a hundred inmates. These are, they are violent. They are absolutely crazy people. Very dangerous if they're on the streets. He starts counting 100 of these violent, dangerous people, only three guards. So he kind of got near the guard. He said, aren't you worried that these guys are going to unite and attack you and overcome you so they can escape? And the guard said, you don't understand. Crazy people never unite. You should say amen right there. That's the truth. <laughs> you say, who's he talking about? <laughs> and that's true. Crazy people never unite. I ask the question, will the oil flow? It starts with the head. You need the oil. But will it flow? Because our text says 
Apparently, there are some people, it will not flow because they do not have unity. You cannot have the flow of the oil of the Holy Spirit without unity. What does that mean? That means for some of us, we need to repent. We need to repent of our pride, rebellion, envy, evil speaking, tribalism. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You want the times of refreshing, but the Bible says it starts with repentance. There's something just dead flat wrong. Yodica, Yodia and Syntyche, knock it off. That's called repentance. Stop it. Change your heart and your mind. Then we need to choose to be in agreement and unity. Listen, there are things in life worth fighting about, okay? I understand this. It's my job to step in. If we got to fight, I have no problem with that if it's important. You don't have to fight about everything. What people want to do, they want to fight over non-essentials. You could make up your mind, you know what? I am not looking to pick a fight with anybody. You could let go of some of your personal preferences. How about this? I'll give you a a radical idea. What if you decided in life, I am going to be a blessing to everyone around me. I am going to be a blessing to my fellow believers in my home church. I am going to be a blessing to my pastor. I'm going to be a blessing to the other churches in our area. I just want to be a blessing. Our text says we could have a flow of anointing oil and supernatural power when we have unity. Our verses again. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded blessing and life evermore. The dew of Hermon. This is something our brothers spoke about in the desert, but they've had a little bit of rain, even if it's weeds. Now something begins to grow. The Holy Spirit can bring life to your soul. He can bring life to your family, life to your church. But the Bible says unity is what brings that to to pass. This is a promise that's actually connected to prayer. Matthew 18, 19, and 20, I say, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Jesus says, you could pray for anything if you would agree. Listen, that's powerful. Husbands and wives, if you would agree, if you would get on the same page. When my daughter 
was backslidden. We were putting her out of the church, and now we were putting her out of our house. And I took Lisa in the back room, and I said, we're going to put her out. She's been living in immorality. We're going to live what we believe for all these years. What I tell everybody else, we're going to do it. And I said, I want you to be with me on this. And she just said, Greg, are you sure? And I, I, I tell you, there was terror in there, but I said, yes, this is what God wants. We're, going, we're not going to change our mind now because it's our daughter. My wife got behind me. She didn't, she didn't later on tell my daughter, you know, I never agreed with your dad. I always thought that was mean. This is the problem. There are, there are couples here. God can't help you because you're not on the same page. If you were to get on the same page, the Bible says you could pray for anything. God could do a miracle for you. The book of Acts shows us what God wants when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. They were all with one accord in one place. They all wanted the same thing. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. It sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. A supernatural dimension of life that immediately impacted the community, immediately began to touch other nationalities. We are still feeling the impact of that when people got in one accord. So I ask again the question that I asked at the beginning, will the oil flow? I close this story. In 1907, 1,500 men gathered in Pyongyang, Korea. They were going to have a 10-day Bible conference. The 1,500, these were people representing the leadership of hundreds of churches. For six months, missionaries to Korea had been praying for a mighty move of God among the Korean church. So they come to conference. Everybody knew there were two men that had been fighting with each other. And Monday, so God is moving on something, and in their kind of tradition of the type of church it was, on Monday, a man came to the microphone, and he confessed, Mr. Kang confessed whatever he knew anyway. He had hatred in his heart for Mr. Kim. But Mr. Kim sat there and wouldn't say a thing. Some of the missionaries are very concerned about this. But suddenly God did something. Kim came to the pulpit and he confessed, I have been guilty of fighting against God. He said, I've been guilty of not only hating Kang, that's the guy they all knew he was mad at, but Peng Moksa, which is the pastor Turning to the pastor who was the missionary, he said, can you forgive me and can you pray for me? The pastor stood and he started to pray 
in Korean, and all he got out was, Father, Father. And they said it seemed as though the roof lifted off the building and the Spirit of God came down from heaven in a mighty avalanche of power. Across the auditorium, hundreds stood with arms stretched out toward heaven, calling on God. Others lay prostrate on the floor. Hundreds cried out to God for mercy. Revival broke out. The oil began to flow. But not only while they were at conference, when they returned to their home, they carried that revival. They would stand and just tell people in their home church what God did in the conference, and the same thing would happen. The fire would fall. The oil would flow. And people uh, began to uh, uh, get saved. Churches were revived. They were filled with a burning passion to reach the lost. In all of the churches, they started seeing drunkards, gamblers, adulterers, murderers, thieves, self-righteous people, uh, people who were Confucianists, those involved in false religion, get saved and transformed into new creatures in Christ. Listen to this. By 1912, only five years later, there were then 300,000 members of the Korean Protestant Church, and that was in a nation of only 12 million people. The oil flowed. 12 million people, 300,000. How many people live in Canada? 36 million? Okay, so 36 million, do the math. That would be like 900,000 people being in our churches in Canada. What made the difference? The oil flowed. The oil flowed. So I, I ask again, the question is, I know what God can do. But the question we have to decide is, will the oil flow? Let's bow our heads. Close our eyes all across this place. Thank God. Thank God for his goodness. I'm asking right now. There are people here, you don't know Jesus. You are not right with God. I want to challenge you about your great need. You need to be saved. You need to be born again. God needs to do a miracle in you. I am not talking about a program. I'm not asking, would you like to go to church? I'm asking... Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? That's what it means to be a Christian. God, I want you to rule in my life. I'm tired of living my own way. That's what sin is. It's rebellion, living my own way. God, I want to do, I want to live your way. How many people here, you're not right with God tonight? And as God would deal with you, you say, Pastor Greg, I want to turn from my sin. I need Jesus. I need a miracle. How many of you here lift up your hand? Pastor Greg, I need Jesus. I want to get saved. I want to get right with God. Or maybe you're backslidden. Praise God. That was another powerful message by one of our leaders in the fellowship. I just want to take this opportunity to quickly you know, give you an invitation to Christ. If this message impacted you in some way and you want to you know, give your life to Christ, and you want to know how to do that, it's pretty simple. All you have to do is, is say a, a quick prayer, something simple and short, just like this. Dear Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to set me free from my sin. He came to earth to, to die for our sins, and he rose again so that we might be saved. 
I repent of my sin. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I thank you for your salvation, for the salvation you give us through grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. And I, I can't wait for you to come back next time. Thank you for listening to the PHSA Potter's House Salmon Arm Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Potter's House underscore Salmon Arm to keep up to date on what we are doing. Join the conversation and discover how Jesus Christ can revolutionize your life.